Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about faith, family, freedom, the state of Illinois, our nation, and conservative action. Here's David Smith and Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. For this edition, we're featuring remarks made by Dr. Frank Turek during the Illinois Family Institute's 2017 Worldview Conference held at the Village Church of Barrington. Dr. Turek is an award-winning author and the president of crossexamined.org. In this segment from his conference presentation, Dr. Turek offers suggestions on how Christians should defend their faith in a world of intolerance. You know you can't legislate morality. You're bigots. You want to discriminate. You're not for equal rights. People were born that way. You can't change people through the law. You don't change hearts through the law. What are you trying to do? What's wrong with you people? We tried legislating morality. It was prohibition. It didn't work. Can't you learn any lessons here? Don't you know you're on the wrong side of history? It's inevitable. You might as well just give up. Look, just preach the gospel. Don't get involved in politics. Christians ought not be involved in politics. It's a violation of the separation of church and state. You guys are intolerant too. You're intolerant and you're bigoted. You want to discriminate. Does this sound loving? Is the left loving? Are they really for, in, for tolerance or not? What do you think? But let me ask you a question. Here's the question. What do we hope to accomplish by giving people evidence for Christianity? Which is what I do most of the time. I'm trying to give evidence for Christianity. What do we hope to accomplish? I'd like to talk to you about when reason isn't the reason. That many times reason isn't the reason people believe what they believe. There are other factors that come into this, and the book, Stealing from God, which, by the way, Christians, this book is not about tithing. Okay? People say, is that book about tithing? No, the subtitle is Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. I've noticed that whenever atheists are arguing for atheism, they are stealing aspects of reality that would only exist if God existed to say that God doesn't exist. An atheist is like um, somebody who says, I don't believe in guns, and then he steals your gun and tries to shoot you with it. Okay? That's what atheists do. Let me start with this man, Thomas Nagel. Has anyone heard this name, Thomas Nagel? A few of you have. Thomas Nagel is a very famous atheistic philosopher. He wrote a seminal book that had the atheists in a tizzy. The book was called Mind and Cosmos, and the subtitle is what really had them concerned. It went something like this. The neo-Darwinian materialistic view of the world is almost certainly false. In other words, he's saying, look, atheistic materialism is false. And so his atheistic colleagues had a real problem with that. But in a previous book, he said this. He said, I'm an atheist, but I want to be an atheist. He said, I don't want God to exist. I don't want the world to be that way. He said, I have a cosmic authority problem. And he said, some of the other atheists I know, I think, have that same problem. Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens, who at the time was alive, Christopher Hitchens. He said, we have a cosmic authority problem. What do you think he meant by that? 
We don't want there to be a God because we want to be God. We don't want to have to answer to anyone. And he was just being honest. Aldous Huxley, who uh, wrote Brave New World, and he said this. I'm going to read a quote from him. He said, I had motives for not wanting the world to have meaning. For myself, as no doubt for most of my friends, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation from a certain system of morality. We objected to the morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. He didn't want there to be a God because he wanted to do what he wanted to do sexually. Christopher Hitchens, who you may have heard of, was a brilliant British atheist. And he, was, he sounded more brilliant than he actually was because he had a British accent. <laughs> and I had the opportunity to debate him a couple of times. And in one of our debates, he said, God is a cosmic North Korean dictator peering in on our sex lives. Now, that's great imagery. If you're an atheist, that's a good way of trying to depict God, right? That he's a cosmic killjoy, that he doesn't want you to have any fun, that he just is trying to say no, 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 and he's trying to prevent you from having a good time. But Hitchens didn't really call himself, well, he did call himself an atheist, but he went beyond that. You know what he called himself? He called himself an anti-theist. What does that mean? It's not just that he doesn't believe in God, it's that he's positively against God. He doesn't want there to be a God. Why? Again, because he doesn't want anybody to tell him what to do. It's morality and accountability that he doesn't want. In fact, Pascal put it very well many years ago. He said, people almost invariably base their beliefs not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. You ever notice that? You see, most people are not on a truth quest. They're on a happiness quest. And they're going to believe whatever they think is going to make them happy. And for many, they think sexual freedom is going to make them happy. Now, here's the problem. You can do a lot of stupid, sinful things over the short term that will make you happy temporarily. But over the long term, it's a disaster. We can go 70 miles an hour down the highway if we stay in those white lines. If we start veering out of those white lines and going into the shoulder or into oncoming traffic, we're not going to get where we're going. We're going to hurt ourselves. God puts moral restraints on us for our benefit, not for his. He doesn't get anything out of us staying between the lines. It's for our benefit. And yet we want to buck that. We want to do our own thing. So I want you to keep in mind that as you're trying to argue for your position in the public square, keep in mind that reason isn't always the reason. People don't want the truth. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, what? That we suppress the truth in unrighteousness because we want to go our own way. So here's what I'd like to do with that introduction. I want to give you the one question that you should ask a non-Christian that will reveal the biggest obstacle in that person's belief. It only takes one question. We're going to do, do that first. Secondly, how that same obstacle leads to the most personally relevant argument for God and Christianity. The biggest obstacle is also the biggest argument, in other words. It's your biggest doorway to faith, faith in Christ. And then finally, how America's new religion steals from God. Because there's a new religion in America, you probably already know what it is, but we'll, when we get to that point, I'll let you know what the new religion is. Let's do point one. What's the one question to ask a non-Christian that will reveal the biggest obstacle to belief? 
to start out, let's imagine that you go out on a long hike somewhere, way out in the forest, and you get lost. Your cell phone dies, you've got no way to get back, all you have is a magnetic compass. You know the direction from which you came, so if you could figure out a bearing, you could get home. So you take out the magnetic compass, but instead of the magnetic compass pointing to north, the compass always points to you. How helpful would that compass be? That's not going to be helpful at all, right? It's not going to be helpful at all if it only points to you. You know where you are. You're trying to figure out where north is so you can get home. Well, here's the problem. Many of us think the compass of life always points to us. And if for some reason life isn't going the way we want it to go, or it doesn't go according to our preferences, we either think God doesn't exist or he's evil. Does the compass point to us? Do you know that whether God exists or not, you are not the center of the universe? And neither am I. Whether he exists or not, certainly if he exists, it doesn't point to us. So the question is, where does your compass point? And a lot of people want the compass to point to them. And this transitions to the one question. What is the one question you should ask somebody who's not a Christian? I ask this on college campuses all the time because quite frequently we do, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist seminars on college campuses. When atheists get up to the microphone and they always come to, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, right? They're loaded for bear. What do you mean I have faith? No, I don't. You have all the faith. Okay, so they're always, they're ready to go. And during the Q&A, if I sense some hostility, I'll ask them the question. And here's the question. If Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? I've had atheists stand at the microphone and say, no! And I'll stop and say, wait, 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 wait. You claim to be an atheist. A beacon of reason. Never mind if atheism's true reason doesn't exist. Why? Because if atheism is true, if we're just molecular machines, if we're just moist robots, then we're not really reasoning anyway. We're just reacting. But let's leave that aside. I ask you, if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? And you say no. How's that reasonable? How's that rational? It's not. They don't want it to be true. You can apply it to Christianity. You can apply it to anything. The baby in the womb, is it a human being? Yes, but they don't want it to be a human being. Relationships between two men or two women, are they the same as a man and a woman? No, but they want it to be the same. The issue isn't truth. The issue is their preference. They want the compass to point to them. And we want to do this even ourselves. We, we do this sometimes. Here's what Paul said in, first, in, uh, in, in uh, Romans. He said, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. We suppress the truth. We know there's a God. We know there's a right thing to do, but we suppress it. And every person in here does this, and I do it sometimes. We all do it. You ever have an argument with your husband or your wife or even your kid? And you know the other side's right, but yet you keep suppressing the truth. And if you say no, you're suppressing the truth, okay? Because you know we do that. We do that all the time. You keep arguing the point, even you know she's already won. People always ask me, where'd you learn to debate? I said, look, I'm married. Come on. Gee. Right? I lose all those debates. I always get the last word in, though. You know what it is, men, don't you? Yes, dear. That's the last word right there. If you tell somebody something, 
that's true, and they're upset, you say it in a nice way, you just help convict them. As Augustine said, we love the truth when it enlightens us, we hate the truth when it convicts us. Jesus said, men love darkness rather than light. We don't want our evil deeds exposed, do we? That's why people will take a phrase, two words that Jesus said, judge not, and they will use it to judge. That's right. By the way, did Jesus say judge, judge, just don't judge? What did he say? He said, judge not, lest you be judged by the same standard you judge others, you be judged by that standard. So before you try and take the speck out of your brother's eye, take the log out of your own eye first, then you'll be better, better able to help your brother. Is Jesus telling us not to judge here? No, he's telling us to take the speck out of our brother's eye. That involves making a judgment. He's simply saying, get that problem out of your life first so you're not hypocritical. So this is not a command not to judge. It is a command on how to judge. How to judge. In other words, judge rightly. If you've got that problem, get it out of your life, then go help your brother. But it would be complete suicide to say, don't make judgments. You've made 100 judgments this morning just getting over here. Judgments between right and wrong, good and evil, safe choices from dangerous choices. Atheists make judgments. What judgments do they make? Hey, there's no God. The Bible's wrong. Jesus didn't rise from the dead. You're wrong. Liberals make judgments. We have a right to abortion, same-sex marriage, taxpayer-funded health care, whatever it is. Those are all judgments. The question isn't whether or not you can make judgments. The question is, are your judgments true? I will say this, though. Jesus did save a very stern rebuke for people who were judgmental. And who were the judgmental ones in his day? Pharisees. And who were the Pharisees? What did they do? They were religious and? And political leaders. They ran Israel through the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. They were politicians. And Jesus went after them. Are you telling me Jesus got involved in politics? Yes! He went after the political leaders of Israel, and he wasn't so nice doing it. Do you ever hear somebody say, oh, that person is such a saint, he's never said a bad word about anyone. If that's the definition of a saint, Jesus was no saint. Just read Matthew chapter 23. What does he say in Matthew chapter 23? To these Pharisees, these politicians. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Oh, you look great on the outside. You're whitewashed tombs, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. You go a mile to make a convert, and then once you make them a convert, you make them twice as much a son of hell as you are. How will you avoid being condemned to hell? What? Sweet and gentle Jesus said this? Yes, Jesus was not Barney. <laughs> Can't we all get along, boys and girls? No! He was not Mr. Rogers. Can you say kindness, boys and girls? I mean, he was kind most of the time, but he certainly didn't go around saying, this sermon brought to you by the letter Q. <laughs> no, Jesus was tough. And we just need to tell people the truth sometimes. Because he was very direct as well. Don't buy into this sissified view of Jesus. By the way, I've noticed one other thing about judging. You ever notice that when you compliment somebody, nobody gets upset? And it's a judgment, right? If you tell your best friend, you know, I really love you. You're such a great person. You think your friend is going to go, who do you think you are? <laughs> are you judging me? Do you think you're worse than me? No, they're never going to say that. 
See, I've noticed that people really don't have a problem with judging. They just have a problem with judgments they don't like. And if you tell somebody something that's true in a nice way and they're upset, you just help convict them. For you military guys in here, you always get more flack when you're over the target. Right? I mean, if you're telling somebody the truth and they're getting upset with you, and everybody makes judgments. Don't let people say you can't make judgments because they're judging you by saying that. They're making a judgment right there. So, you know who the biggest obstacle to unbelief is? I am. You are. In fact, this is what C.S. Lewis famously said. He said, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil is pride, unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Isn't it interesting? We have pride parades. Hey, we as Christians might not have pride parades, but we have them in our minds sometimes, don't we? Pride is why we call sins mistakes, isn't it? Oh, I made a mistake. I regret my mistakes. No one is perfect. Some of you have made premeditated mistakes over and over again. Yeah, she was a mistake. Yeah, he was a mistake. A mistake is when you add up your checkbook wrong. A sin is when you violate God's nature when you miss the mark. And all of us have sinned. Jesus didn't come to save mistakers. He came to save sinners. And we're all sinners. So before we wag our finger at other people who don't agree with us politically, we got to take a look at ourselves, don't we? Because without the grace of God, none of us are going to make it. And we make excuses. You know, we make excuses because... We have this sense of right and wrong built right into us. C.S. Lewis again, who said everything great. He said, the truth is we believe in decency so much, we feel the rule of law pressing on us so that we cannot bear to face the fact that we are breaking it, and consequently we try and shift the responsibility. For you notice that it is only for our bad behavior that we find all these explanations. You never have to give explanations for your good behavior. You never have to push that off to something else. It's only your bad behavior you do that. Why? Because we're prideful. We don't want to be seen as a sinner. We'll, we'll tolerate a mistaker, because everybody's a mistaker. But we don't want to be sinners. But we all are. So we need to keep that in mind. In other words, your compass points to justifying yourself. So again, I, I, I want to be clear about this. The other side in political issues is not our enemy. We're all sinners. We're all fallen we may disagree with them, and we may think they're bad for the country, and maybe they are. But they're our brothers and sisters in the sense that we're all sinners. Right? G.K. Chesterton, many years ago, responded to an editorial in the newspaper, and the editorial asked readers, what's wrong with the world? Chesterton had a two-word response. Here it is. I am. Right? Was he right? Yep. So, what's the one question to ask a non-Christian? What is it? This is known as review. <laughs> if Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? Now, you can modify that question for anything. If you're talking about the abortion issue, you could say, if the baby was really a human being, would you change your position? Would you become pro-life? Whatever it is. 
If there were unintended negative consequences on children by making marriage genderless, would you change your position? So you can modify the question. More of Dr. Frank Turek's remarks from the 2017 Illinois Family Institute Worldview Conference after this. Is the House Speaker bringing down the gavel on motherhood? For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with The Point. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi has proposed a host of rule changes for the 117th Congress, including a push to make all official language gender neutral. As columnist Abigail Schreier pointed out to the New York Post, this is more than the indoctrinated, cliched grad student with too much time on their hands yelling at everyone to say humankind instead of mankind. These rules would legally eliminate the words mother and father from national legislation. The only problem, mom and dad aren't job descriptions. These are words referring to people. We can't erase them from our language any more than we can erase them from society. We might pretend that moms aren't a thing, but they are, and they aren't dads, and dads are also a thing. Our words either will reflect what's true or obscure what's true. We won't communicate well, and Congress won't legislate well if our language denies reality. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. Thanks for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. During this segment, Dr. Frank Turek outlines how morality leads to the gospel and how the religion of sex is stealing from God. Morality is the way to immediately show people there must be a God. Normally when I'm doing, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, I talk about the beginning of the universe, the design of the universe, the design of life, those are great arguments. But the argument that is most relevant to people personally is morality. They can avoid thinking about the beginning of the universe or the design of the universe or the design of life, but they can't avoid thinking about morality. Why? Because they deal with it every day. I went to a church in South Dakota. Why I agreed to go to South Dakota in February, I, I don't know. I, I, I didn't suppress the truth. I should have. Went to this church and spoke there on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night. And we went through all the I don't have enough faith to be an atheist material. And... The second night I was there, uh, during the Q&A, there were a couple of young men in their 20s who got up to the microphone and said they were atheists and expressed a lot of skepticism about God and what I had said and all that. And I didn't think anything of it because when you call, I don't, call something, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist, atheists are going to show up, even in church. The next night I was there was the final night. About a 50-year-old man got up to the microphone and he had a question written on two pieces of paper and he began to ask it about 10 seconds into asking the question, he broke down crying. He couldn't even ask it. So I went down to him and he handed me the two sheets of paper and he said, read it, read it. So I'm reading it to myself as I'm walking back up to the platform. And when I got back up to the platform, I realized this man was upset for two reasons. Reason number one, his family recently discovered that a friend of the family, a man in his 40s, had been sexually molesting their daughter, this man's daughter, the, the man asking the question, had been sexually molesting his daughter from the time she was age four to the time she was age 14, right in their own home under their noses. Never saw it. 
The second reason this man was upset was because the two young men who were there the previous night were his sons. They said, if there is a good God, he wouldn't have allowed this to happen to our sister. In fact, one of them was in a Roman Catholic seminary, and as soon as he heard the news, he left. He said, there is no God. And he's an atheist now. The man's name was Steve. I said, Steve, it's okay to be mad at God. The Bible writers are mad at God. Read some of the Psalms. Read Lamentations. Read Habakkuk. God, where are you? What's going on here? It's okay to be mad at God. They can take it. But hopefully at some point your sons will realize that this is not a good argument against God. And then I said to him, I said, do you think maybe we could talk about this privately instead of in front of 300 people? He said, yeah, sure. So the event got over at like 10 p.m. and I said, hey, why don't we go to dinner? So we went to dinner and Steve, for about an hour and 15 minutes, just told us everything that happened. He was so distraught that he never saw this. He said, this guy in his home was like Jesus to us. He was always carrying a Bible around. He was always saying, oh, let's pray. It was a big sham. And he didn't see it. And I said, Steve, I don't know when the right time is, but you'll know when the right time is. When the right time is, I want you to say this to your sons. If there is no God, what that man did to your sister isn't really wrong. It's just your opinion. Because if there is no standard beyond humanity, no standard called goodness, no authoritative standard beyond human beings, then everything's just a matter of opinion. You think molesting children's okay? I don't think so. It's just a difference of opinion if there's no authority beyond humanity. So if you're going to be outraged at God and say he doesn't exist, what moral standard do you have to say that what happened was wrong? You don't. So I said, Steve, I don't know when the right time is, but you'll know when the right time is. I want you to say this to your sons. The very reason you're upset, rightfully so, is because you know a great injustice has been done. But there can't be injustice unless there's justice. In fact, evil doesn't disprove God. Why? Because there'd be no such thing as evil unless there was good, and there'd be no such thing as good unless God existed, because God is the standard of good. So evil doesn't disprove God. Evil may prove there's a devil out there, but evil doesn't disprove God because God is necessary for, even, for you to even know what evil is. Can't have evil without good. I know this sounds counterintuitive, but if evil exists, God exists. Not because God is doing evil, but because he's the standard of good by which we even know what evil is. So you haven't disproven God. You've actually proven God by your outrage. If you want to show somebody that God exists, you need just to point out one evil thing that they'll agree is evil, like sexual molestation of children. Is that evil? Yeah. Then there has to be a source of good. That's what we mean by good. In fact, just to drive this point home, how do you know who's right and who's wrong, Mother Teresa or Hitler? How can you discover that? Mother Teresa wasn't the standard. Hitler wasn't the standard. There's a standard beyond both of them by which we measure both of them. And we say Mother Teresa measured up to the standard better than did Hitler. In fact, Lewis again put it this way. He said, the moment you say that one set of moral ideas can be better than another, you are in fact measuring them both by a standard saying that one of them conforms to that standard more nearly than the other. But the standard that measures two things is something different from either. It's God's nature. 
So, people on the other side of the political spectrum who are arguing for all sorts of rights are actually given evidence for God when they do so because there's no such thing as a right unless God exists. There's only opinions. There are no rights unless God exists. This is why Lewis in his book starts out mere Christianity with this chapter, right and wrong as a clue to the meaning of the universe. Everybody deals with right and wrong every day. This can lead right to the gospel. Why? Well, why did Jesus actually come? He tells us why he came. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, many people are thinking, what's this ransom business? This is what we think in America. We don't need a ransom. I'm a pretty good person. I can make it to God on my own. I don't need somebody paying God a ransom to get me off the hook. Right? That's what we think. You know why we think that? Because we have a relative moral standard in our mind. From the moral giant Mother Teresa down to the moral midget Hitler. And next to Hitler, we put criminals. We know they're not quite as bad as Hitler, but they're bad. And then next to criminals, we put all the immoral people we all know. You know our immoral friends and relatives who aren't quite as good as we are because our picture's right here next to Mother Teresa. Okay. We know we're not quite as good as Mother Teresa, but we're working on it. And then if we believe in heaven and hell at all, we arbitrarily draw a line in the sand and we say, these are the bad people, they're going to hell, and we're the good people, we're going to heaven. This is not the way the moral universe really works, ladies and gentlemen. We ought not be comparing ourselves with one another. Yeah, you may be better than your neighbor, but you're still a sinner. You're still falling short. In fact, the moral line does not run up and down between people. The moral line actually runs across the top, and all of us have fallen short of that line. From Mother Teresa down to Hitler and everyone in between. And what Christ has come and done is he's lived a perfect life in our place. And by trusting in him, you can not only be forgiven for your sins, you can be given his righteousness. Think about that. You're forgiven for what you've done and you're given the good things he's done. So the purpose of his life was to be punished in your place. So what you can do is you can just ask people, you could say, have you ever committed any moral crimes? Have you, done, have you ever done anything bad? What are they going to say? Of course. Well, do you think that moral crimes ought to be punished? Well, of course. Well, then you might ask them, would you like him, Jesus, to take the punishment due you for the bad things you've done? Why wouldn't you? It's free. So you can transition right from morality, which is our problem, to Christ. Look, morality is our problem, but morality is not our solution. Not eternally, anyway. Why? Because you can't be good enough. If you've already fallen short, you can't correct that. So let's wrap this up with the third point. The obstacle is morality, but the solution is Christ. And you can point people right to Jesus. Now, how America's new religion steals from God... What is the new religion in America? Here are the clues to the new religion. You have a right to choose an abortion. You have a right to taxpayer funding of abortion. You have a right to taxpayer funding of contraception. You have a right to marry whom I love. We have the right to force you to participate in my same-sex ceremony. And you have a right to use, or I have the right to use, the bathroom of my choice. What's the common thread running through all these things? Sex. Can we say sex in church? That's the new religion in America. You know all the things we argue over all have something to do with sex? In fact, when you go to a college campus, the elephant in the room is not evidence. The elephant in the room is sex because 
they think if you're going to somehow show Christianity's true, uh-oh, I can't do whatever I want to do sexually. If God, oh God, you're just a cosmic North Korean dictator peering in on our sex lives. The morality's interfering with our sexual freedom, said Aldous Huxley. That's the issue, it's sex. That's why Huxley said what he said. So just realize what you're dealing with. How does the new religion steal from God? You notice that in order to advance immorality, they have to cite morality to do so? Notice the language they use. Rights, equality, choice, tolerance, discrimination, bigotry. Those are all moral terms. They're trying to use morality to promote immorality. They're stealing from God while they're arguing against him. And so I just think you need to call them on it and say, what do you mean you have a right? Where do rights come from? You have a right to abortion? Where do rights come from? They don't come from people. If, people, if they come from people, then they're not rights, they're preferences. Because if rights come from governments, whenever the government changes, you lose your rights? No. Jefferson said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men were created equal and endowed with their creator, by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Why did he put life first? Yeah, because the right to life is the right to all other rights. If you don't have life, you don't have anything. It's the ultimate right, the right to life. Do you know that if there is no God, there's no right to life? Do you know if there's no God, there's no right to abortion either? Do you know if there's no God, there's no right to same-sex marriage or natural marriage? Because there's no right to anything. In order for there to be rights, there has to be a source of rights. A transcendent, authoritative source whose nature is what we mean by good. And that's what we mean by God. Now, the left uses all these great-sounding terms to get you to believe that what they're doing is moral. And they sound good and they feel good. But those of you who are aviators in here know that you don't trust your feelings all the time, right? You don't trust your feelings. Pilots in here know that if you trust your feelings rather than your instruments, you can put yourself in a bad situation. And so we have to check our feelings by our instruments, which of course you know right from wrong directly if you think about it long enough because God has written it on your hearts. You also know right from wrong from the scriptures. You don't, by the way, you don't need the Bible to know right from wrong. It gives you more detail, but you don't need it. Why? Because it's already written on your hearts. If you needed the Bible to know right from wrong, then God was unjust for judging the entire generation of Noah. They didn't have a Bible, right? But they knew right from wrong because God had written it on their hearts. So you know right from wrong, and if you reflect on it long enough, you'll realize the moral-sounding terms are just there to disguise what they're really trying to do. No one has a right to kill another human being, to murder another human being, but that's what the right to abortion is. Don't trust your feelings, trust your instruments. God's nature is morality's true north. So, let's review. What's the one question you can ask somebody who's not a Christian? If Christianity were true, would you become a Christian? Use that question, convert it to any topic. If an unborn child was a human being, would you be pro-life? Whatever you want to do. You can, just, you can modify that question, right? What's the same obstacle that leads people away from God is the same one that could lead them back. What is it? It's morality, right? 
And all of this is being argued in moral terms, politically. And then finally, America's new religion is sex. And they're stealing moral-sounding terms to promote immorality. Isaiah said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. That's what we're starting to do in this country now. Dr. Frank Turek, award-winning author and president of crossexamine.org. Please support the work of the Illinois Family Institute. All donations are tax-deductible. To give, go to IllinoisFamily.org, that's IllinoisFamily.org, or call IFI at 708-781-9328, 708-781-9328. And tell your family and friends about Illinois Family Spotlight. Until next time, stay healthy, stay active, and God bless. Thank you for listening to Illinois Family Spotlight. For more information, please visit us at ifiaction.org and look for us on Facebook and Twitter. If you would like to email us questions or comments, please do so at feedback at ifiaction.org. Until next time, stay engaged and keep your eyes on the prize.